1: Kia Koto koutou katoa, and welcome to another episode of Cawthorne Radio. I'm joined today by a senior marine scientist from Cawthorne Institute, Dr. Xavier Pouchon. We are here today to talk about microplastics and a programme of research called AIM2, led by the Institute of Environmental Science and Research, otherwise known as ESR, that Cawthorne is a collaborator on. Welcome, Xavier.
0: Thank you, good morning, and thank you for having me.
1: Xavier, what are microplastics?
0: So microplastics are those uh, pieces of plastic that are typically smaller than five millimeter in size. Uh, So, um, you know, five millimeters and smaller. And they are uh, becoming a real, real environmental issue uh, worldwide. As we know, plastics are fantastic. uh, That was the old saying of the 50s because they're durable and they're cheap. But unfortunately, because we accumulate so much of it that they tend to break down. During their life cycle, and the more they break down, the more problematic they become because they are ingested by other organisms, uh, and they uh, essentially climb up the ecological chain and and cause immense. Problems uh, environmentally and also for human health uh, at the end of this process.
1: So are there any primary types of microplastics or causes? Is it all plastic that can end up in the marine environment and break down and become microplastic or is it specific types that are more likely to?
0: So there are many different types of plastic polymers, of course, but there are a number of polymers that are more dominant in the environment because uh, we use them more uh, for our daily lives. So typically your all-famous pets, for example, or nylon which is extensively used so is
1: PET the drink bottle
0: yes exactly that no, sort is of, it number like, one
1: number two kind of plastics yeah, the, the, yeah for those, food packaging that, that, that is correct
0: thing? yeah exactly and so these ones are extremely dominant and they're quite robust so they, uh, they will stay uh, for a, a significant amount of time in, in the environment others are, are softer so they break down faster so there is yeah typically those for food packaging for uh, plastic bags for nylon or fish gears ropes and so are among the most dominant that we find in the environment.
1: And is that from littering and pollution, or is it coming down through waterways or from ports? Is it all of the above?
0: So it's all of the above. In, in, in essence, so it's quite heartbreaking to know that there's about 15 trillion pieces of plastic currently in the ocean. That's, that's massive. And the production of plastic is expected to not decrease, but to increase exponentially over the next uh, few decades, which is uh, heartbreaking unless we change something. So it's estimated by 2050, we'll have about 25,000 million metric tons of plastic. This is a number that's almost uh, impossible to even grasp. It's so big. And 80% of these plastic wastes end up in the ocean. So, yeah, the, the, the overwhelming majority comes from the land down mainly through wastewater treatment plants and from any activities that are happening around freshwater waste and, and which ultimately end up in the ocean.
1: Yeah, that's kind of a terrifying thought. What do we know about in the New Zealand context? You've been doing some monitoring. How bad is the problem here?
0: Yeah, So that's a really good question, because uh, in essence, we don't know much about the state of affairs of plastics here in New Zealand. And this is precisely why a group of researchers at ESR, Cotron, Auckland University, University of Canterbury and Scion have come together about four years ago now and obtained this very significant, nationally significant research funding from the Ministry of Business, Innovation and Employment. This is called AIM2 program. AIM2 stands for uh, Aotearoa impacts mitigation of microplastics, and it's precisely uh, designed to uh, much better understand what is the state of plastic pollution in New Zealand. So we're looking at uh, how much uh, plastic do we find in freshwater ways, in wastewater environments, as well as in coastal marine environments. Uh, so we want to understand how much comes from the land, how much com- comes from the ocean. And-, and there's a big emphasis on understanding what happens at the degradation level, at the de- degradation stage, if you will, of the plastics. We know that UV lights play a big role in breaking down plastics over time, but bacterial communities also play a critical role. And so this program is very much interested in looking at what sort of bacterial communities are associated with different type of plastic polymers, but also what other organisms are uh, associated with them. And from my perspective, my main interest is to look at non-indigenous marine species that are specifically associated with different plastics. And so so we want to make this link on what are the the real role of uh, plastic marine debris in, in their ability to serve as a raft for carrying pathogens, bacterial pathogens, but also larger marine invasive species onto these buoyant floating plastic and that move around and there's many other aspects in terms of impacts like if you want ecotoxicological impact or chemicals that are actually released when the plastic breaks down and what does these chemicals play a role in terms of biology and and the function of the ecosystem
1: yeah when i first learned about this project i never would have thought that the one of the major concerns with microplastics would be biosecurity it was kind of a surprising idea are there other things in the marine environment that would transport non-indigenous species that could be a threat to ecosystems and, and help pathogens and bacteria and things travel around or is it...
0: Yes, so so that's that's actually a, a really topical subject this one. Um, I don't know if you've seen but there's been this article that just came out in uh, Nature Communications last week on precisely this discussing the new threat that plastic uh, debris at sea represents in terms of dispatching coastal organisms that would never do so in natural conditions.
1: So do they so, not attach themselves to fish or... So they
0: do, they do. So uh, this is very well known that many marine organisms can actually travel on on other type of floating rafts. So these could be macroalgae, could be trees, uh, other natural sort of debris that can move them from one place to another. But it is usually recognized that these are transient and very temporary. And Mm -hmm. after sometimes these objects, these natural objects tend to degrade. And so giving much less chance for these organisms to actually really travel long distance. Now, these new plants Plastic patches, and we've got about five of them around the planet. Big, massive areas which have a high, high density of plastic debris. In the Pacific, we've got two in the East Coast. Uh, There's the Hawaiian one up there in the East Pacific, North, and Southeast uh, Pacific, there's another one here. And these really represent a new way of transporting pests. It's called actually the neopelagic communities. It's a new term that was nicknamed in that article that just came out.
1: So... This all sounds like a perfect storm <laughs> leading towards some consequences that we probably don't want, in an, especially in a New Zealand context where we work really hard to keep those kind of species out. So what experiments are you doing and, and studies are you doing in New Zealand to try and understand the scope of the
0: problem? So one that I can uh, share that's uh, very close to my heart is this very cool experiment that we conducted in the Nelson Marina, but also in the viaducts in Auckland. And in the Port Littleton in Christchurch, all simultaneously. So that took a, a bit of a, a, a big team, about 10 people actively working together in coordinating this effort. And that consisted of deploying some large structures, which consisted of some, some sort of Christmas tree-like structure, if you want, of small plastic tokens, about five by five centimeters, which were organized like a, a Christmas tree vertically. And these represented five distinct polymers that are the most abundant that we talked about earlier. In environment some of those were artificially aged using UV treatment first. And we essentially deployed those at the same time and let them for an entire year. And all throughout this cycle, we regularly collected the samples to look at what sorts of communities would settle of them at different time points. Uh, and this is really, really important because most of you here uh, are familiar with the marine environment. You will know that in the natural environment, marine organisms settle on natural or artificial surfaces. And it's well known the biofouling material that that's set up on vessels, for example, is really well known. If you leave any structure or any component in the marine environment for a month is going to be covered with larvae and all sorts of organisms. And so we thought that would be a really great way to look at what organisms settle on which plastic polymers specifically. And once we can figure out making a link with specific marine pests associated with specific pathogen, we can then extend this with knowledge at sea, what sorts of plastic debris and densities do we actually have at, at sea and create some sort of risk assessment of their further spread around New Zealand.
1: And so... What would that information help us to do? Would it help us to understand which were the most dangerous types of microplastics, and then potentially look to focus our efforts on reducing those ones making their way into the marine environment? Uh, absolutely, absolutely
0: yeah. right, Natalie. Yeah, th- so that's exactly the point. We we want to make an informed decision on how to move forward in reducing our addiction to plastic and making sure that the, the more uh, the most dangerous ones or problematic ones are effectively being removed from our daily lives. Uh, we also work towards uh, better understanding what social of alternative uh, plastic components we could use, like more biopolymers mm. based. So we work actively now with uh, Cyan, who has been developing and testing some interesting biopolymers which are artificially augmented with different concentration of oyster shells into the plastic polymer to reduce the amount of plastic but increase natural uh, byproducts. And and we're investigating how they actually react in the ocean and if they can be used, for example, for aquaculture purposes Mm. or materials in the sea that would be durable but not as bad as the one we're currently dealing with.
1: Yeah. I was just talking to one of our Cawthorne researchers yesterday who's a rocky reef ecologist who was saying seaweed is the new plastic mm. and there's loads of exciting seaweed-based biopolymers that yeah. are that are being explored at the moment as well. So hopefully there'll be some technological innovation that will also facilitate a move away rather than just having to cut out a plastic with no alternative solution.
0: Absolutely. And I think we should even look back in our own history. I mean, you know, Maori populations here in New Zealand were very clever in using natural natural, like flax, for example, uh, as baskets for aquaculture purposes. And I think there's a great need to maybe go back into this cultural knowledge that was there and that worked really well and see how we can actually adapt to more intelligent products to use for our daily lives.
1: Mm, fantastic. And pending further results from the program and more information, what should people be looking to do about the problem in the meantime? Do we have any ideas or solutions or actions people can take themselves? Is the message just try- with where you can to reduce your use of plastics
0: well I mean I think that's that's one of the main one right I think it's easy to say but it's it's really true I think individual actions is so important I think that if every one of us change our habits in the way we shop go to the market more often with your own bag and, and little things uh, like this and useless plastic products that you don't really need in your life we can change things but i think more fundamentally i think that uh, the governments need to really act into changing regulations around products and favoring alternative products that are not impacting our environment Uh, and i think that's why this research is part of that discussion i mean we we need to bring the proofs and uh, demonstrate scientifically that the impact is here and that uh, there's really a need for our government to act so that's i think it's multifaceted and yeah there's many things we can do
1: Fantastic. Thank you so much, Xavier. That was Xavier Pochon, a senior marine scientist at Cawthorne Institute. Thank you so much, Xavier, and thank you all for listening. Ka kite.
0: Thanks to New Zealand On Air for making this podcast available by funding the Access Media Project. Other great podcasts from Fresh FM are available through the accessmedia.nz app or our website freshfm.net.